Yeah. Uh, I see my life on high beams. beams. The bright light focused on my dreams. dreams. Like helicopter spotted by the SWAT team. team. But I don't worry about a thing cause I'm clean. <laughs>
uh, fundamentals. Um, I'm rebounding. I'm knocking people over with my big body. I'm, I'm pulling up from mid range. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely play physical, and you didn't have any tights on. Yeah, you didn't have the. Mm-mm. You didn't have any VC. You didn't. You didn't buy anything with your VC. Yeah, so. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't buy any credits. No in-app purchases. <laughs> just, just like the the least remarkable sneakers you've ever seen. <laughs> no, 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 because I came in with the uh with those you, you invited me last minute and I had some high top air force. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, remember with the straps, yeah. That was a bad job. But we, we caught some wreck. But we, we definitely caught some wreck. As fun. we should. It, Cause and that's what I mean. I, I love basketball. It's one of the first things I do when I go to any city is I'll I'll go to their pickup basketball court. And I got stories of doing just that shit alone. Like uh in London, the the nets aren't regulation. Um, and I struggled to get weed the whole time I was in London. And then <laughs> I, I, I went to the basketball courts and just started playing. And then they started rolling up hashish. And uh, I was exchanging basketball advice uh, for hashish <laughs> on like a nine foot net so I could dunk. Shit was crazy. They thought I was like like the, the next coming of Michael Jordan because they'd never seen someone who could like competently dribble. And then the nets weren't regulation. So they thought I could dunk regular. I, I didn't have it in me to tell them that like, hey, this is a nine foot net. I don't know where <laughs> you guys got it. Day over there. <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you gotta I shit day. you not. I shit you not. I was there for a study abroad program and I joined both the basketball team at the college and the American football team. I only played one preseason game for the football team because I didn't want to pay <laughs> and, and I already had a pretty large schedule, but, uh, and then with the basketball team, I played the entire first half of the season because it's not like NCAA regulated or anything like that. The international college sports scene's a little different. So I just being American, I didn't even play in high school. I didn't play. I played a little AAU in high school did not play in high school, did not play in college. But when I was in England for a semester, I was the starting small forward for the uh, Imperial Immortals for, for a solid season just because they, they don't have Americans. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I got pictures. I got pictures. Send that through, bro. Send that through. I got pictures. So you, you just talked about the things that, you know, that you've done, um, you're, you're being in videos. Tell me a little bit about you coming up in this, in this, where are you from? (laughs) First first question. I am from a small town just outside of Northeast Philly known as Trevos. It's Feasterville Trevos. It's five minutes from Summerton, Mayfair and all that. But um, I don't credit that with a lot of my upbringing because it kind of had less to do with the situation. My, my upbringing was pretty hectic. Uh, and I don't, I don't go into it too much because I don't like to spread family business. Right. But the, the problems that we faced ranged from like a horrible drug addiction to like people getting arrested and fucking like uh, kids in the house that were like, like my, uh, someone in my family had a kid at 16 and then again at 20. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the stuff that I related to was not, was coming from hip hop. And, and, and stories told in that area. So I just gravitated towards that stuff. Then I moved uh, out for college. I went to East Stroudsburg for two years and then I transferred to Temple. And then I lived in Philly for eight years proper, never moved back to my hometown. And now I live in Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn. That's that's a hell of a story just yeah. from uh from your inception. And that's you know, another great, not a great thing, I don't want to say, but you know, us Philadelphians, especially you know, being black and growing up in the city, sometimes when you hear these stories about, you know, white people who grow up in the counties or the suburbs or just a little bit outside, they don't you don't you think that the grass is always greener on the other side, you know. Yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you, in, during the opioid epidemic, the grass was not greener. The grass was it was the same color of shit and the grass was dying uh, like and then pills and pills and pills. And I, I, I got sick. A group of like five, five best friends. It's five of us. Three of us had a sibling that got addicted to heroin. Like and that's one of the things we bonded over because our families had to all deal with that. And we were just kind of the youngest kids trying to find our way. Pretty much raised each other. It's a really unique story because, you know, I, I don't think I don't think my my situation is necessarily like unique at all to, to people that are from where I'm from. I just think my digestion of it was. And mm-hmm. and I want to speak on what you said a little bit, because I always had that idea in my mind. Uh, like I always refer to myself and people like me as the lowest level gentrifiers. We are the poor whites. And we're moving into a city near you. And it's because we are, we are poor and we are young and there's only a few places we can live. Like you can't blame a man for not wanting to live with his parents forever. But knowing that I was a part of the lowest level of gentrifier, meaning I'm not going to come in and buy a whole block, but I'm going to take up a rental unit. <laughs> but, and, 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 and I, I recognize that. And it, it was always very important to me when I'm in cities to be an asset to other people in the city, give people jobs, give people who are from the city opportunities, uh, try to leave the neighborhood better than you left it, be a good neighbor, stuff like that. Don't treat people who live in your neighborhood like they're some some crazy thing. And I hate uh, the city is dangerous ass motherfucker. I hate that shit. I, 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 I I really do. And uh, and I think once again, I think my track record has shown that. Yeah, because you've been in some you've been in the trenches. You know? Yeah, I've you, done you've been in the trenches of the city. Well, I'll tell you one weird thing. Not one weird thing. There's a couple tweets that I've seen in my life that have really made me like reevaluate things. And one was just like Temple students. It was a map of Philly. And it was like, this is what Temple students think Philly is. And it was just like a circle around the stadiums a circle around center city and then a circle around um, temple. And I was like, yeah, I never want to be that. I never want to be that guy. I never want to be, I want to meet people from here. I want to meet real people and luckily journalism and, and, and things like basketball and, and, and just living an active and open lifestyle has led to me, uh, like Meek Mill says, there ain't a neighborhood in Philly that I can't go. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> these, I have friends in Uptown, I have friends in West Philly, I have friends in the Northeast, I've got friends in South Philly. It's just, it, it feels great. I don't even have, I don't have many friends in Center City, which is, which is no one who, yeah, who does? Yeah, who lives, who lives in Center City? City? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know who lives there, but uh, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have them in my contact book. All right, so you, you come from the Trevos Feasterville area. You, you come through college here. You work doing uh, journalism. I, I know you work for Billy Penn. You did some stuff for the Metro. You're, you're doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. When did you really realize, like, you know what? 
I'm here. Like this is like this is it, and I am a part of it. What what was the like? We're not in Kansas anymore. Experience like this is it. <laughs> well, I think my road to to success has been a little tougher than some people might recognize because I'm a pretty outspoken person. I'm not censored at all. I, I'm all about creative af- expression, which made me very unemployable for very <laughs> um, just being known as that guy locally um, caused me some issues in getting hired. So I'll give you examples of the type of work I've done. I've been producing podcasts since I was 15, 16 years old. I've been on a few radio stations in college. Then in college, I released a book called Life of a Giant, which is a combination of poetry, narrative, and essays when I was 22 years old. And then I started my podcast, 2100. So I did all of those things completely independently. I'd gotten some jobs working in media, but not exactly doing what I want. And I I would go on to lose all of those jobs uh, for a variety of reasons. I was angry at people because they wouldn't turn me from an intern to an employee. I was angry at people because I wasn't getting the validation I needed. And then in like 2019, I started to be able to get published in the Philly Weekly newspaper. But funny story about that is after my first five or six, seven, eight articles, I published an article about a homeless encampment that was on the parkway. The editors, not editors, the owner of the paper hated that article because he didn't, I won't say this, but we could surmise it's because he didn't like the homeless encampment because it was living in a rich neighborhood and he was very far to the right. He would always tweet out all this crazy shit and I have a very leftist socialist uh, perspective. So I said things like uh, homelessness is a choice that the government makes to make sure that the middle class stays in line and stuff like that, that they published in the newspaper. And so um, not too long after that, uh, the owner of the newspaper um, for my next story, which was about college kids dealing with the pandemic, because at that point we were in the pandemic at like heavy and he yanked the story and because it was going to be the cover story and placed a, an op-ed from himself announcing that the um, city, that, that the paper Philly Weekly would become conservative and they would no longer carry people like myself. And there were even a couple shots at me in the op-ed, like we're no longer going to sympathize with homeless encampments. And so then I went to Twitter. Like I said, I'm a loud mouth and I, I don't really play by the rules. So I went to Twitter and I said, fuck this guy and fuck <laughs> Philly Weekly. Look at what they did to me, which got me, um, which is, was a huge risk, but I didn't care. And it played to my favor. All the other outlets were like, yeah, fuck that guy. What is this all about? <laughs> and then that got me multiple other freelance clients and then kind of kickstarted my journalism career. However, I still never got a full-time job in journalism until uh, February of 2020 when uh, the Northeast Times offered me a full-time position with the starting date of March 16th, 2020. That's, <laughs> that's when I was that's when I was supposed to go into the office. And then that's what what, happened to date? I don't know. Okay. And they, they they announced the office was closed and that I would never be going in. And they had me furloughed without pay for about a year. 
So then I had to stay on my freelance grind. Uh, I got a job flipping cheesesteaks during the pandemic. And I was still like, at the same time, I was on television. I was a guest on PBS talking about the election. I was a guest on CNN with uh, W. Kamal Bell's show, United Shades of Grey. I got a nice three minute slot. And I was still flipping cheesesteak and dropping French fries uh, by night. And then I'd go out to protests and I'd cover them and I'd find ways to sell the video and really learn the industry and meet other journalists and ask them for perspectives and do really good journalism. There's stuff I've done that I'm incredibly proud of. Some of my biggest accomplishments were doing Philly journalism. But the aha moment had, did not come until I'd say probably like, two months ago because I'd accomplished so much and none of it really ever broke me through. But now in my current position, like I'm, I'm pretty successful in my current position as the head of podcasts for hot 97, where I am now in charge of building a network and I'm learning how to do it. I, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's not something that everyone would know how to do. And uh, I'd be lying if I said, I know specifically how to do it, <laughs> but, but I, I'm doing a really good job and I I'm, I'm respected by people within the, like I was just talking to funk master flex, like a few minutes ago, like before I sat down here, like I could just talk to some of the greatest names in hip hop whenever I want. How, um, how does that feel? Like, you know, that's like, so like, it's, it's awesome, man. I've produced freestyles for artists. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting video. I'm getting sent to Howard and Morehouse to make documentaries. I'm doing really big projects and, and, and they're mine. Like I'm writing them. I'm, I'm picking the talent to be on them. I'm setting the interviews. I'm producing the whole shows and then we're releasing them. And now I'm on like the fifth show that I've produced for them. And I'm like, God damn, I'm like a real like producer. I'm <laughs> yeah, you, just, you just got out there. I remember yeah. just playing basketball with you a couple of months ago. And yeah, now you're, know. you know, hanging with five of your funk max mm-hmm. flex producing podcasts, getting sent all over the place. Like this has to feel good. Man. Yeah, it does. It does. It feels, it definitely feels like I've made it. I told myself if I could hold this job that I currently have for, for a year, I'll be able to do what I want for the rest of my life. And that's seeming to be true because people are interested in the stuff I'm doing. uh, And I'm grateful for it because, you know, I was flipping cheesesteaks two years ago (laughs) and, and, and no one would hire me. And I'd heard this, that, and the third. Now, like the plan is to do two, three years in New York and then come back home to Philly and do something special there. But I'm already doing stuff in Philly. That's, that's important to me and making a difference, but just from here. Right. And I wanted to go ahead and speak about that. Cause I know that you like, you know, out there in New York, hanging, rubbing elbows with people who you like, you could only imagine, but there's some, some really groundbreaking things that you've done here. Like even um, <laughs> if you could tell us about the story you walk into. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you, no, so, I know people ask about. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Like, some, yeah I've done so much. Like, I forget about some stuff. Um, yeah. So I walked the AC. Yeah tell, yeah. tell us about that. So I, I have a podcast called 2100, which is a time capsule for the people of the year 2100 to listen to and understand present times. And I said back in like 2018, 2019, when the show kicked off, if this gets to 15,000 downloads, I will walk from Philadelphia to Atlantic City. Just because at that point in time, 15,000 seemed like a pipe dream. I had no 
I had, I, I had like 900 Twitter followers, 900 Instagram followers. None of them were really like anyone who gave a shit about me, mostly high school people. And then um, I, 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 it was a completely independent project. It was my third show. The first two did not take off. So I was just like, if this gets to 15,000, I'll do this. And the truth is, the, the idea came from the fact that people, I'm likable, but I'm not likable. I am someone people are kind of rooting for, but they, they're kind of sick of me because I keep doing stuff. So people, <laughs> although they want to celebrate me, they kind of want to see bad things happen to me. So like the walk to the ocean was a perfect idea because it would put myself in a situation I didn't want to be in and it would hurt and people would like that. So even my haters would watch, which is right. the main thing I had in 2019 when this all started. I was like, yeah, we're going to suck them in. And I did the same thing. I made a video where I squirt lemon in my eyes. It's one of the most popular <laughs> things I've ever done. People want to see me get hurt. They want to see me doing bad. And I get it. I'm, I'm boisterous and I've been successful for too long. And uh, people, people want to see me get hurt. And I understand that. And that's just good marketing. So we hit 15,000 and I was just like, okay, fuck it. We're doing it. You and, do and, and instead of doing it to promote the podcast, because at that time, just the timeline from 2019 to 2021, I'd accomplished so much and the podcast became more of an afterthought. That was a launching pad for my career. Now I'm off. I'm off. You know, I don't need the launching pad anymore. I don't care about trying to promote it so much with the walk. I was like, let's do it for charity. So I hit up my guy, Carlos, who runs, we love Philly. I'd taught audio engineering to the kids and I'd had them work on their on mic uh, experience by coming on my show for 2100, that episode is called Our Favorite Things. And that, that was also to instill confidence. Like hearing yourself on a mic can be empowering. And I never got that experience when I was a kid. Right. And I did. So, I listened to that episode. That's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. It's a good yeah. episode. We got kids. We got kids from Thailand. We got 13 different countries represented on that episode and uh, more than 60 guests, which I like to do because I like to switch up format. But one thing led to another. Me and Carlos agreed to do this walk to raise money for something called project ownership, where they take shipping containers and convert them into Airbnbs and offices and stuff. And then the kids can get equity from that and it'll help them get a financial backing, um, which is important because we all talk about like how, how education can change. And Carlos, unlike most people has a vision. So I like to support him. I always tell him, if you ever start doing fuck shit with your charity, I'm done. And because and, and, I told him when I when I first started talking to him, I said, I don't trust charities. And uh, he was like, no, no, I'm not evil. Trust me. I was like, all right. So I do trust him. He is a good friend of mine. So we over the course of three days, we walked from Philadelphia to Atlantic City. It sounds absurd when I say it now because I'm more than a year removed from it. Um, the first day, the first few, the first two days were particularly hard because I, I didn't train or work out or look at anything for this. I just showed up and I was like, let's start walking. I got the weekend free. And we started walking and like a moron, I realized a couple miles in that I had the wrong kind of shoes on because this was this. So this was the mistake I made and it, it sounds stupid in retrospect, but when you're in the moment, you know, I looked up walking shoes on, on the internet and you'd think that walking shoes meant shoes good to walk in. It turns out walking shoes are just loafers. 
like things you wear around the house. So I bought these like $20 Skechers loafers. And I was like, it's weird that they're so cheap, but if you're supposed to walk in them, that's what I'm doing for the next couple of days. And I burnt right through the fucking bottom of these Skechers loafers and my feet were in shambles. I paid a kid. I paid a stranger off Twitter. I tweeted out, yo, I'm in the middle of this walk. People who are following along, if anyone could drive to New Jersey and get me a size 12 pair of like fucking New Balance sneakers, please, for the love of God. Get out of these George Bush 11. (laughs) (laughs) And so a kid that I've only met one time and he did this, he drove to the King of Prussia Mall, bought me a pair of New Balances and then drove to the Jersey Shore to drop off sneakers so I could finish the final day. And I, I gave that kid the cost of the shoe plus $100 just to do that. And uh, when we got to the ocean, there was a drum line. There was a bunch of knights because we, we befriended knights. They were these guys who do this thing called like uh, they, they do sword fighting, but in full armor and with like blunt swords. So they can't slice each other, but they whack each other with steel swords. I think it's called steel fighting. But we ran into them. So we had knights. We had a drum band and we had a bunch of the students. We'd raised thousands and thousands of dollars for the project. And it's the most pain I've ever been in and the hardest thing I've ever done. The last day we walked 32 miles, which is a marathon and some change. Uh, Absolutely fucking bonkers. (laughs) But it generated good content. It made a lot of people happy. It made a lot of people money. And that's what I call a win, win, win. If the only L is me getting hurt, that's fine. <laughs> that's a hell of a story. And that's, those shipping containers are amazing. I remember we linked them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to check them out. And they're, yeah, one art community center. They got one back there, and the kids use that area as a learning station where they got, where else, you know, in the city where you can learn inside of a shipping container, feed horses, feed a chicken coop. And, and like, it's, it's just like such a unique thing that they're doing. And I support anything that's outside of the box and really trying to do anything positive because just there's so much of just like for profit bullshit that it's just nice to see like, okay, this is a man trying to improve something. Right. At least I can do is support that. That's a good job, man. That's a good job. That's a good job, man. You got a round of applause over there? Oh yeah. Wait, hold on. I think it's this yeah, one. Let me- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the walk was not easy it was very hot it was like 95 degrees and in on we just walked down the white horse pike because we didn't know any other way to go <laughs> and there was no shoulder so cars would try to get as close to us as possible and we actually had the unfortunate circumstance of a man pulling a knife on us uh in the middle of the walk luckily wow. he was he was so fucked up that he he, he gave up chasing us but it was a man playing an electric guitar and we approached him because I was like clapping. Come on, you because you're on a fucking 60 mile walk. You don't pass yeah. a lot of shit. So you see a man playing an electric guitar. You're like, yeah, rock on, yeah. on, yeah, enjoy. We walk up. First question was, are you Jewish? We're like, whoa, this is not the sort of interaction that we and and he he then uh, he was like, no, just stay here. He walks into, it was a motel. He was outside of his motel playing the electric guitar loudly, which we should have read. It should have been a red flag, but it wasn't. Then he walks in his motel room, kind of invites us in, then immediately flips open a, a knife, starts walking at us. We're like, whoa, 
Yeah, yeah, yo, yo, yo. You got to learn what the the anti-Semitic roots are. Like, from the the sound of the story, it sounds like it's a white man. It is not. This was a this was a black man playing the electric guitar, which double confused. Yeah, there I go. Yeah, it was a black man playing the electric guitar, being anti-Semitic. I was like, we've got all sorts of stuff out here in Germany. Oh my goodness, he did not make (laughs) Jimi Hendrix proud that day. Yeah, yeah, and you could tell that's the kind of he was just kind of doped up. He was living out of the hotel, but the state of the motel. I saw the inside of his motel room, and it was he'd been there a while. If I want to go any different in the story. Yeah, no. Yeah, we met we met some knights and a man pulled a knife on us. <laughs> Listen, I know about those uh those uh, those Jersey motels, man. There. Oh, yeah, and this was one like 15, 20 miles out from AC, so God knows what that man was up to. Hey, well, Just enjoying guys- the sweet sounds of his guitar. I'm, I'm happy that you guys made it out. I'm happy that you're able to finish the tracking it was for a good cause mm-hmm. so that's a that's a good joint that's that's a good story that's a good joint now from a from a good joint a good story of the week to a bad joint of the week oh, that's God. my voice i like doing that voice and i'm happy the hey. first time i get to to do that it's with <laughs> i guess hey, you, you should throw your you 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 gotta have an animated voice if you're gonna be an audio medium i'm always doing all sorts of shit with mine Right, right. So that's uh, for my badge on of the week. So I know that you um, did some work with a uh, corner store uh, in the area that you used, used to live in South Philly. You would donate books. Yes, yes, yes. I still run that. You still run that. And up to date, um, can you tell us, can you plug the store? Yes. On the corner of 22nd and Wharton, I, uh, to this day, I do not know the name of it. It has a Spanish name. It's got some numbers. It's, I, I, it's the corner store on 22nd and Wharton. Um, there's just free books. If you need books, go get your free books because okay. I've been stocking it. We've given out more than 1,500 books to both that location. Like the people just take them. I don't keep inventory, take them. Uh, they're, they're there to be took. Because they have to, yeah, they have to leave the front shelves empty because people will steal. So I was like, let's put something they can steal. Right. (laughs) If they're stealing books, that's positive. And then they're not stealing them. They can have them. Right. So if you have books that you want to give, preferably children's books, drop them off at 22nd and Wharton. Uh, The people there know what you're doing. And uh, if you want books, go to 22nd and Wharton. Take some books. Right. <laughs> All right. So the reason why this is a bad John of the week is reading is reading is fundamental and it's important. But uh, I'm going to take it to a, a time where I used to work at a storage facility. Mm. And I just inherited this new role at a storage facility. And there was this one locker there that um, it would always go up for auction. But the people who would get the uh, unit wouldn't take the contents of it. So I didn't, I didn't know what was going on and I had to clean it out because, or I had to get it scheduled to cleaned out, be cleaned out because I needed the, the unit. So I opened up the unit and as soon as I open it up, there's probably about four to 500 boxes in there, mm. you know, and they're, I don't know what's inside of them. So I go ahead and I, cut the box open one of the boxes open and there was probably about 30 or 40 books in there so i'm like okay so i cut open another uh, box and same thing happens there's another book i probably cut open 10 boxes and there were full of books 
everything was full of books. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to go ahead and go through 500 of them. Mm-hmm. I know that these all have to be books in here if I just cut open 10 boxes. So I cut the boxes open and I, I'm like, I got to get rid of them. I don't know what to do. Um, and I really need the unit because it was the only, it was a weird size unit. It was a big unit and I needed it. So I hit up somebody on Craigslist who actually would come pick up the books. The, the guy came, he was like, oh, I'm coming to get the books. Um, I'll give you a dollar for each soft cover, $2 for a hardcover book. I'm like, well, if you want to pay me for the books, I'm cool with God that. Damn. Yeah. So he comes and he's going through the books, but he's scanning the books. He's scanning them. And I'm, but he's not taking every book. So I'm like, well, what's going on? And he was like, I can't take every book. So I was like, all right, you got to go. But what I found out that he was doing was Amazon FBA. Goddamn so, scammers, man. Yeah. So what I did, I said, well, once I realized it was Amazon FBA, I was like, you know what? I could go ahead and do that. <laughs> <laughs> so the books, some of the books that he was giving me um, was for a dollar to two dollars. When I learned about Amazon FBA, some of the books that I was giving to him for that amount were like $20, $30 books. God damn. So for one, so it took me five months and I did it all by myself, but I cleared the whole unit out and I scanned every book in there. It must've been about 15,000 books in there. So <laughs> how much did you make? Did you make anything? Yeah, I did. That's good. Did. And yeah, let me tell you a, a, a worse person than me would get angry about something like that because I'm running a thing where I give books away for free. But here's the thing because of how I mentioned like my background and stuff, a lot of the people donating books are white people from the suburbs. And then I'm putting them here for people in the city to take them. So if they take them and sell them good, fuck it, make your money. These people were giving it away for free. Yeah. Not every books, not every book sold. So what I did was I, I got like, I probably got about 200 books that's in the apartment right now. I gave some to the kids, to my kids. So not everyone sold, but I would pass books out. I'm a big advocate in reading, big advocate in books. And it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And yeah, I made some money off of it, but- But you put the work in. That's not not easy. Yeah, Yeah, and I put the work in. So that was good. But Jason, my guy- Thank you for coming on to the show. Finally, man. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm incredibly happy to be here. Thank you, man. Before we go, is there anything you want to say to your haters? Because now you're on the new level, new devils, man. So now you got to go ahead and give your haters something else to go ahead and be mad I'll tell about. you this. My, my haters have mostly been vanquished. Anyone who is against me at this point looks foolish. Uh, if, if you're hating, keep hating because it hasn't affected me yet. I I got hella stories of my enemies being defeated. I went up against Mayor Kenny, kicked his ass. I went up against uh, the own. If you ever noticed, you remember Lee's Hoagie's house? Right. They're out of the city because yeah, of yeah. they didn't pay me a couple grand. They don't exist in the city anymore. So goodness. haters beware. You should be terrified of me. Uh, follow me on social media at jpeters2100 and check out my latest project, Captains and Majors, a podcast documentary about hbcu sports um that i produced and wrote for hot 97 we are out of here man the poppy store podcast my man jason i catch you next time (laughs) appreciate you man thanks for having me on Uh, (laughs) i appreciate it man i can talk like a motherfucker no that shit cool listen and i